You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Henry Zimmerman. More than a year into the coronavirus pandemic, many Coloradans are facing housing insecurity, and many are being pushed towards homelessness for the first time ever. Requests for emergency rental assistance are surging, as are concerns about a massive wave of evictions when the federal moratorium eventually expires. KUNC reporters Matt Bloom and Lee Patterson have been reporting on this topic for over a month. In this special episode of Colorado Edition, we're going to hear their reporting on the economic factors pushing people into asking for help. We'll also hear about a program in Boulder that's offering free legal support to struggling renters. And we'll hear about a program in Fort Collins that's changing what it looks like to get people housed. But first, KUNC's Matt Bloom and Lee Patterson are with us to set the stage on their new series, On the Edge. Matt and Lee, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Hi there. Now, before we hear your stories, give us some background. Why did you decide to report on this topic? Well, we had decided to look at the issue of homelessness during COVID and to to do a series on that topic. And while I was doing background research, you know, talking with people um, running shelters and to various nonprofits in northern Colorado, you know, United Way, Catholic Charities, I kept on hearing that the need for assistance, you know, assistance with food, utilities and rent has been just staggering and increasing during the course of the pandemic. And also that many of these organizations had been helping people and families that had never needed this sort of help before. So the issue of housing insecurity really started to emerge as a huge issue that was really getting worse with time. And I actually spent some time uh, last summer reporting on this issue locally. But when we started to look into this topic uh, earlier this year, the federal eviction moratorium, which is protecting a lot of people right now, was set to expire at the end of March. And it it just felt more urgent uh, this time around. That moratorium's actually since been extended. But regardless of that, I knew that it it was going to be a good time to ask questions like who's getting evicted right now and, and what's happening at the local level to keep more people housed even after the pandemic is over. That question led me to attending eviction court in Boulder County every single Friday just to learn about what was going on there. And the most interesting thing that came out of that was this new program that was going on that the city's doing to actually help prevent more evictions right now and into the future. It felt like this was one effort that's already making a difference and more people, especially those who are struggling, would really want to know about. Lee, we are currently seeing a surge in the number of requests for emergency rental assistance. Why are we seeing that surge now as opposed to earlier in the pandemic? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. So emergency rental assistance has been available throughout the pandemic from a variety of funding sources. But I think more recently, the word has really been getting out that this assistance exists, that it's something that people can actually apply for. There's also a lot of money coming in um, available at both the state and county level thanks to um, a huge COVID relief package that Congress actually passed in December. And then on top of that, if you remember, at the end of last year, there was a glitch in Colorado's unemployment system that prevented a lot of people from receiving benefits. And that's likely something that has been contributing to people applying for rental assistance. And then, of course, you know, perhaps the biggest factor is economic. And that's where I ended up focusing much of my reporting, which takes place in Larimer County and focuses on the experiences of one family. Last May, Adela and her three kids spent a lot of time hanging outside. It's beautiful. (laughs) I'm fussing, fussing, fussing. 
<laughs> she shows me a video of them playing soccer and listening to music at Horsetooth Reservoir west of Fort Collins, and another one of her son riding a scooter through a parking lot. Your kids look so happy. Yeah. But at home, in the trailer park where they live in Fort Collins, last spring was tough. Adela is a stay-at-home mom. We're using her first name only to protect her privacy. Her husband, who is a house painter, was out of work during May and June, which has created a cascade of financial troubles for them. As we talk, huge tears roll silently down her cheeks, soaking into her blue face mask. At that moment, she says, she was just trying to survive. Adela's family lived paycheck to paycheck before the pandemic, so when her husband's work dried up, she was immediately looking for ways to pay for utilities and rent. And describes making the rounds at local churches every week looking for food. Soon after, Adela applied for and received $1,700 in emergency rental assistance from Neighbor to Neighbor, a housing assistance nonprofit in Larimer County. But these days, they're still behind on bills, like insurance and the car payment. And her husband's work slowed down again over the winter. It's not like it was before, she says, when I was at the food bank every week, but we're still having financial difficulties. Adela's story is just one example of how so many Coloradans have come to be unstably housed. Many are unemployed or have been at some point during the pandemic and just haven't been able to catch up. So eventually you just run out of cash and you run out of income. Martin Shields is a regional economist with Colorado State University. And all of a sudden you can't pay even your most basic bills like your rent. Since this time last year, over 14,000 tenants have applied for millions of dollars in emergency rental assistance through the state, which is available for people who can't pay because of COVID-19. The majority have applied in the past few months. Black and Latino residents have applied at a disproportionate rate, making up 45% of requests statewide. We have so many people that are working working hard, but still kind of on the economic margins on this fine line between making it and not. This is particularly true among low-wage workers. In analyzing job loss data in Larimer County, Shields found that over half of the jobs lost during the pandemic have been in leisure, hospitality, and retail, staffed by workers who are predominantly Latinos, women, and young people. Employment for these and other kinds of low-wage jobs in the state has rebounded slower than for higher-wage earners. This crisis, it really is a crisis for these families, has kind of laid bare how many people are, are living on this knife's edge. But help is out there. Throughout the pandemic, rental assistance in Colorado has been available through a combination of local, state, and federal funds. In December, Congress passed a COVID relief bill that includes $25 billion to help renters. It seems like it is working to a degree. Lisa Winchester is the president of the Northern Colorado Apartment Association and the property manager of an apartment complex in Fort Collins. I think the problem is, is that there are so many people seeking assistance right now that all of those agencies are very strained. How and where you apply for emergency assistance depends on where you live. In Larimer County, it's through the nonprofit Neighbor to Neighbor. <laughs> Come on in. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. The organization that helped Adela last year is now charged with giving out $10 million worth of federal rental assistance in the county. Kelly Evans is the executive director. So our average check right now is just under $5,000 per 
applicant to the landlord. Demand during the pandemic has been overwhelming. Evans says they've helped 4,000 residents pay rent. A significant number of applicants are undocumented. Many speak a language other than English. Right now, they have 800 applications in their processing queue and a wait time of around six weeks. Because as soon as we get people assisted, there's just that many more people who are applying. Evans has had to double the number of housing coordinators on staff, some of whom speak Spanish. The increase in need, she says, is in part due to the word getting out about emergency rental assistance. They're bringing in people through La Familia, a family services and daycare center in town. The state is now advertising the program with its weekly unemployment email blast. When something unforeseen like this happens, it's really important to preserve housing stability because the domino effect that happens if housing stability is lost is very real and very significant. Like the ability for kids to stay in school and parents to stay employed, for example. So I think we're going to need rental assistance for years to come. In March, President Joe Biden signed a coronavirus relief package, which includes $21 billion in rental assistance that will be available until 2027. But that money takes time to reach those in need. Earlier this month, Adela applied for emergency rental assistance again with help from her landlord. Last week, I checked in. Her husband, Oscar, translated. Hi, this is Adela's husband. Adela says not much has changed in the last month. They haven't heard back about their assistance request. I'm still waiting on that. And it's been four weeks. Between the first time they got help with rent and now, they've borrowed money from Adela's brother and from a woman in their community in order to pay other bills. But some things are looking up. Her husband's job painting houses is getting a little busier. Have either of you been vaccinated? Yes, on Sunday. And Adela says they're both feeling good. A few hours later, she texted saying that she was super happy. Her rental assistance request had just been approved. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Now we're going to hear about two solutions to housing insecurity that are already making a difference. Matt, you spent a month attending Boulder County eviction court for this first story. When you were there, you noticed that many tenants were getting help from a new program that prevented many of them from getting an eviction on their record. Can you explain what this program is and why it's important? Yeah. So last November, Boulder voters approved a ballot question that created what's called a right to counsel program for renters in the area. This is the first of its kind in Colorado. And basically what it is, uh, the idea behind it is that every tenant, every renter, when experiencing an eviction, should have access to a lawyer. The city's literally now stationing one at the courthouse for them every single Friday, which is when eviction court is. Um, I, I started digging into the research around like why this is important and why this matters and found out that on average, most renters never get legal help when getting evicted. Most people never even show up to their court date for, for a lot of reasons. So the idea here is to give renters a little bit more power um, when negotiating with a landlord and just an overall better understanding of their rights all for free. Cities like New York, San Francisco, and Cleveland have done the same kind of thing and actually seen their eviction rates drop pretty significantly because of it. So it makes an impact. During my time attending court, I met several tenants there, but there was one that really stuck out to me as how this program is already making an impact. 
In early March, Christy DeFurio arrived at Boulder County Eviction Court with a sinking feeling in her stomach. Her landlord was trying to kick her out, and she wanted to fight the case but didn't know how. The one thing holding her back? She didn't have a lawyer. She took her seat on a wooden bench in the quiet courtroom and prepared to make her case. I met her that day in court. Once you showed up, I remember the judge saying like, hey, these people are in the back of the room. They're here for your assistance. Like, were you surprised about that? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. To her shock, the judge told her, the city already has a lawyer for you. Would you like to speak with him about your rights in this case? Christy said yes. The judge called a recess and she and her new lawyer walked out of the courtroom to talk. She was one of the first tenants to get access to a new program Boulder residents approved during last November's election. It helps them out with rent and pairs them with a lawyer, all for free. Tom Ward, an attorney with the program who helped her that day, says it's a big change because in the past, most tenants never sought legal help when getting evicted. They're terrified. They, this is often the first time they've ever come to court. They are facing a loss of their home and economic uncertainty as a result, and potentially with an eviction on their record, the inability to rent in the future. Christy DeFurio was relieved to have someone on her side at such a critical moment. But before I share how getting a lawyer changed the outcome of her case, we need to back up a little bit to understand what led up to Christy's eviction in the first place. We're going through a giant stack of paperwork on her living room coffee table. She's 39, a single mom, lives in a one-bedroom apartment just outside of Boulder in Louisville. Christy, like many tenants during the pandemic, fell way behind on rent after she suddenly lost her job selling insurance. So that's the de demand for rent or possession, and I owe 10, over $10,000 because of To work that. around that massive debt, the apartment complex offered her a temporary payment plan. And for a while, the agreement seemed to work out until something happened that threw everything off. One Sunday afternoon in February, Christy was messing around with one of her son's toy guns. She shot it out of her bedroom window as a prank on a friend, and several neighbors complained to the property manager. The next day, the manager taped a demand for rent on the front door. Then a couple days later, a court summons arrived in the mail. Yeah, it took me like two days to open it. Like I knew when I saw it, I was like, uh, I didn't even want to look at it because it's like, it, it was just like overwhelming. At first, she thought she'd be protected by the federal eviction moratorium, which bans most evictions for non-payment of rent. But it turns out the apartment complex wanted her out because of the toy gun incident. That's not something that's protected under the moratorium. Christy felt like it was an excuse. And it's like, you can't get evicted for um, having a toy gun, even if it, it was like, it, it's, so the thing that they are actually saying, it's about the money, but the thing that they actually put on there is not true. So that's why I went in that day and tried to fight it. We reached out to Christy's apartment complex to talk about this, but they didn't respond to our request. When her court date came up, she drove to the Boulder County Justice Center to fight her case alone. That's where the judge connected her with Tom Wart, the program attorney. In the busy hallway outside of the courtroom that day, Tom explained to Christy all the options available to her. At this point, she still felt very overwhelmed. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like insurance policies. It's like it's set up, like taxes. It's set up to be confusing, I think, on purpose. Like, um, so that people, like the normal person, is confused and overwhelmed and intimidated. More and more communities across the country are now looking at putting similar programs like Boulder's in place. And support for them is gaining a lot of traction, even as the economy starts to improve, because a lot of people are still struggling to pay their bills and make up for months of rent they missed during the pandemic. 
The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau estimates more than 8 million people across the country are still behind on rent. Tom Ward says it's unclear what could happen if the federal government's current eviction ban is allowed to expire later this summer. If it expires and is not extended, then a cause of action, a way, a way to proceed with an eviction becomes available where it hasn't for a, a year. And there's no way to know how many landlords are out there waiting to make evic- to evict tenants for non-payment of rent. So after looking at her case, Tom told Christy she had two options. She could go to trial, but if she lost, her landlord could evict her in 48 hours. If she made a deal that day, she would have to move out by mid-April, but wouldn't have an eviction on her record. After thinking it over, she went with the deal. Tom says it can be difficult for tenants to agree to move out, but it helps prevent an official eviction from taking place. So it's my goal to keep this from being uh, an eviction from being on a tenant's record so that this is not the event that causes them to remain unhoused for as long as they stay in Colorado. After making her deal, Christy's now looking for a new place to live while she starts packing up. There used to be a lot more stuff here, but it's kind of bare bones. So She's already moved a few boxes and pieces of furniture near the front door. She shows me her favorite parts of her home for the past three years. Can you talk about the drawings here? Yes, I'd love to. Um, this is very special to me. Um, the hallway so just off the kitchen is covered in drawings she and her son did. There's a big blue octopus and a pink lotus flower growing up from the baseboard. So everything on here is something I've learned from something that's been like trauma or tragic in my life and um, in my son's. And then it's what we learned and how we made it into something beautiful. For her, the eviction case was one of those challenges, but she hopes to grow from it. It was a little win. You know, it's a little win that they have this program and it's a little win that that they were there like that kind of was like, oh, thank God, finally something in this system. Um, But uh, yeah, I finally found a win in the system. She says she wants other people to realize there's help available in Boulder and to show up to court to sort it all out. Matt, I feel like the biggest takeaway from that story for me was just how big of a deal having an eviction on your record actually is. Yeah, I didn't realize that either before this, but there's a ton of research out there showing how people who get evicted have a tougher time finding new housing, holding down a job, and they're much more likely to end up homeless because of that. Now, homelessness is the issue that kickstarted your reporting and Lee's reporting. And for this next piece, uh, you chose to focus on a new supportive housing project in Fort Collins. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, something that stuck out to me when looking at all the data that we sorted through for this um, series was how the population of people experiencing homelessness in northern Colorado and really the rest of the state was already increasing even before the pandemic started. And even though we don't have the hard numbers yet for the past year, a lot of experts and advocates believe it's it's just gotten worse. Meanwhile, there are a ton of organizations in our area looking to address this. And when I was talking to people about this issue, they they kept mentioning this new apartment building called Mason Place in Fort Collins. And when I started learning more about it and met one of the residents moving in there, I felt like it was something that we had to share with our listeners. It's move-in day for Allison Perkins, and the 51-year-old is getting a lesson from a building manager on how to use the key fob for her brand new apartment. You hold it flat against the glass for about four seconds, like that, yep. It's a really big day for her. She's nervous. The door unlocks, and she steps into the narrow entryway of her new apartment. 
her green eyes lighting up as she takes it all in. I'm gonna hang your purse up. Oh wow, that's really cool too. The place is fully furnished with a bright green accent wall. The kitchen cabinets are stocked with peanut butter and pasta sauce. This is a special moment for Perkins because it's the first time in two years she's had any kind of home to call her own. She became homeless after losing her 29-year-old son suddenly in March of 2019. And um, I kind of lost my mind, so I lost my job and I lost my house. And that's how I ended up homeless. This is my She spent those years moving place to place, finding shelter where she could, sometimes sleeping outside. And until somebody has even spent one night overnight in the cold, you know, and if the weather's stormy or whatever, the being out in the elements is extremely hard on you. Then earlier this year, a caseworker she met at a local shelter told her about Mason Place, a new supportive housing project opening up in Fort Collins. And so um, with the by the grace of God, really in my um, my caseworker really fighting hard for me, <laughs> Um, I was able to get a housing voucher. Perkins is just one of 60 residents expected to move into Mason Place this year. The building, formerly home to a dinner theater, was purchased in 2018 and renovated by Housing Catalyst, which develops affordable housing projects in northern Colorado. The inside now looks like an upscale hotel. The lobby with its high vaulted ceilings is full of mid-century modern furniture and lots of plants. So we have tried to create spaces that are bright and have a lot of natural light and are very welcoming. Daniel Covey is the program manager. We work very hard to make sure that not just the space itself, but the way that our team and uh, partners interact with people is very respectful, communicates dignity, and makes people feel like they're in their home. There's also an on-site library, community garden, and even a dog washing station. Covey says the features are all a part of something called trauma-informed design, which is meant to counter harsh conditions residents may have experienced while living on the street. I think when people, many people come and tour um, our properties and they say things like, I had no idea that affordable housing could look like this. To live here, each person has to pay 30% of their total monthly income toward rent. Unlike temporary shelters, residents can stay at Mason Place as long as they want. Covey says slots filled up within weeks. Certainly the need exceeds the supply. There's no question about that. The state's latest homeless count shows northern Colorado's homeless population is increasing. Studies show permanent supportive housing projects like Mason Place are an important part of addressing homelessness. But they don't get built overnight. There are lots of challenges in getting supportive housing um, up and running. Allison George oversees housing at the state's Department of Local Affairs. Her office partially funded Mason Place. And funding for these projects is complicated. They're partially paid for through tax credits, which brings the overall cost down, plus some state and federal dollars. George says money to fund new housing projects is tight, and neighbors aren't always on board. And I think that comes from a place of not really understanding or knowing the impact, not only on the individuals that are housed, stably housed, but also on the positive impact of the community that is actually placed. George says they also help prevent some properties from falling into urban blight. And so you take an underutilized structure and you make it a beautiful home for people. Those people become a part of a community. Uh, they become a part of the fabric of that community. 
Back in her new apartment, Allison Perkins relaxes on the blue couch in her new living room. And then just, it smells anew. She's still processing what it all means to not worry about having a safe place to sleep. And so, I mean, just knowing that you have a roof over your head changes your whole attitude about everything, about how, what's, what's the next step? What can I do next? Or, you know, what do I need to do to better myself next? She says she wants to work with staff on a new resume and begin a job hunt. Perkins cut hair for three decades before becoming homeless. She also wants to start working with a grief counselor to properly mourn her son's death. I'm normal. I mean, I'm just another 51-year-old lady that's trying to um, get back on my feet. She'll begin the next steps of her new chapter tomorrow. First, tonight, she hopes to find a DVD player and pick a movie to watch in her new home. Matt Bloom, KUNC, Fort Collins. So it is clear from your reporting, Matt, that there are solutions out there to housing and security, but the problem is huge and will likely be ongoing for some time. So a final question uh, for both of you. What are going to be some of the really important issues to watch going forward? You know, for me, something that really stood out was the disproportionate need for rental assistance among Black and Latino residents in Colorado. You know, as I mentioned in my story, they make up 45 percent of requests overall and only around 25 percent of the state's population. Now, this, of course, we know is part of the much larger story of the disproportionate impact the pandemic has had on people of color from coronavirus infections, deaths, job losses, mental health impacts, and now housing insecurity. I think going forward, it's going to be really interesting to see how we as a society and how you know powerful people and policymakers react and, and respond to these disparities over time. I think the long-term question will be, what have we learned and have we made any change? Yeah, that's a really uh, good question. And we, we've already seen several bills at the state capitol get introduced this year specifically to give more power to renters, such as capping late fees, allowing undocumented people to access assistance going forward, and even reforming eviction court. The sponsors of those bills have also specifically cited the pandemic as sort of a catalyst for addressing a lot of the housing issues that have been around for years. I think the question that's still on my mind, though, is what happens once the CDC's eviction moratorium inevitably goes away? Will rental assistance alone be enough to stop a big spike in evictions? I'm definitely going to be watching to see if some of those changes at the state capitol actually take place and whether they help more people stay housed in the long run. KUNC's Matt Bloom and Lee Patterson, thanks to you both. You're welcome. Thank you, Henry. Their new reporting series, On the Edge, explores housing insecurity in northern Colorado during the pandemic. You can find more from Matt and Lee on this topic at our website, KUNC.org. There you can also find a version of these stories written in Spanish. Thanks for listening. I'm Henry Zimmerman. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.